We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Through perseverance, through patience, and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. God does cause all things to work together for good. He gives us insight that in, into suffering that there is a world that we can't see. There are reasons we may never know, but it's not for nothing. Even when Satan or others intend us harm, God intends it to make it work out for our good. God allows suffering to point us to a greater need. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall the mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the broadcast. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith will be taking us through a series on the providence of God, where we'll be making stops in the book of Ruth in the Psalms, and also in the book of Job. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Job. Now imagine, he's he's starting to wear out and wear down. He's frustrated. He becomes angry. And he says, oh, if I could argue my case before God. God owes me an explanation. Why is this happening? And God remains silent for like 35 chapters. Job is only 42 chapters long. And then... God answers him after all of that. We don't know how long all this took, but his answer is jolting and instructive. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Job has been saying, I'm owed an explanation. This isn't right. What's going on? I need to argue my case before God. And God says, who is this that speaks without knowledge? And then in verse three, he says, dress like act for action like a man. I will question you and you will make known to me. You will instruct me. There's a hint of sarcasm here. Where were you? Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you must know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? 
Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God, all the angels, shouted for joy. He's talking about the creation. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Have you entered the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades, these are the constellations, or loose the cords of Orion, or can you guide the bear with its children to its place? Do you, do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on earth? What is going on here? Is God being mean to Job? Actually, no. God is saying, do you know why things are? the way they are, Job? Do you know why things work, how things work? Because you made them? He's indicating to Job there's a world that he can't see or comprehend. Sort of like Job is looking at the trees and he's missing the forest. And then we read this comment from God in Job 40, verse 8. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be right? And he's saying, Job, think of what you're doing here. You're you're, you're accusing me of being wrong and you're saying that you're righteous and is that what you want to do? Hearing from God, Job begins to sense and see that perhaps there's more going on here than meets the eye. Kind of like Ruth, there's this larger picture, this tip of the iceberg scenario. It's as if, if you take the time to read all of Job, God said to Job, you can't see the forest for the trees, Job. There's a larger picture. You're looking at yourself and there's so much more going on here. And that's why he's asking him, do you know all these things about creation? Do you know how stuff works? Do you know why things are the way things are, even right now in your own life? And you can read Job for yourself, but on hearing God's reply, Job gave us the memorable saying, How many times do people say this without even thinking about what it means or where it came from? I repent in dust and ashes. I spoke without knowledge. Job 42.2. Job says to him in response, I know you can do all things. I know that you're sovereign. That no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me. That's things beyond my comprehension I've challenged. Which I did not know. Which I did not understand. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear and now my eye sees you. So apparently God appeared to him in some sort of physical form. Therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. Job says, I put my hand over my mouth. Now, you got to wonder if Job really expected an answer like this. He expected to hear God audibly and apparently see God. In either case, you might say, Job, God is wish. And sometimes you have to be careful what you pray for. And we know how the story goes on from here, don't we? We know that to our knowledge, Job never got an explanation of why all this happened to him. But what we do know is that God restored Job's health in the end. He restored Job's wealth and he granted Job children. In Job 42 we read, he also had seven sons and three daughters and he saw his sons and his son's sons down to four generations. 
But remember what happened to Job. He lost 10 children still. He went through all that suffering. 10 children. I think of the memories I have with my daughters when they were little girls and raising them up to see them grow to become beautiful, young, godly women. Imagine then having them stripped away. 10 of them. And it's also safe to say that Job's Job's closest relationships, those friends of his relationships with them were probably strained. As for us, we have the benefit of seeing the larger picture, knowing what was going on in in the spiritual realm, seeing it play out on earth. Why did all this happen to Job? Job had no clue. Do we? We'll come back to that later. But you and I, we live in a different age than Job. We have benefits that he lacked. We have the whole 66 books of the closed canon of Scripture to help us make sense of our existence, to know what's going on in Job's life. The whole Bible to provide us a perspective that Job didn't have. And we know that the Bible has something to say about every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of our existence. We know that from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. But Job didn't have the New Testament. You know, we live in an age of comfort too. We have great medical care today and and great understanding. Back in Job's day, if he had leprosy, one of his diseases, that could be a deadly, dreadful disease. Today, leprosy can be cured with a shot of penicillin. You know, today, speaking of good medical care and symptoms, today a person has chest pain, numbness in the left side, pain in the jaw, and they know that these are telltale signs of coronary disease, uh, angina, symptoms of angina, and the harbinger of a heart attack. And then we know if you don't seek medical attention, you could die. Imagine if diseases didn't have symptoms. Imagine if there are no consequences for sin. You could have a heart condition like angina, and you could drop dead without notice, never understanding that you had a problem. With my own vaccine injury, I was blessed and that I had a sufficient array of symptoms to tell me and others that I needed to go to the ER. Where am I going with all this and suffering? Symptoms. Suffering on this earth is a symptom of a larger problem not to be ignored. We know the old story of Adam and Eve. They made choices to turn their back on God, to rebel against God, and those choices had consequences. Romans tells us that sin and death entered the world through one man and spread to all because all sinned. Because humanity largely turns its back on God. Some even today pretend that God doesn't exist. Others look at the order and beauty all around them and pretend it was caused by random chance. But we know that God's invisible, the invisible God, that his fingerprints are all over the creation. You just can't get away from the order of the universe and the beauty. Day-to-day pours forth speech. There's no place where the evidence of God is not known or seen. But people ignore those things to their harm. And so God left symptoms to warn the human race of its spiritual heart disease. We all know viscerally in us, even those who don't know Christ, there's something wrong with the world. We see suffering, sickness, sadness, people dying, people being murdered, raped. There's injustice all around them, all of which are symptoms that should cause us 
to stop and ponder our existence. But some people ignore or write them off to their harm. And when they die, they go from bad to worse. Ignorance is not bliss. So God does allow suffering, disease, and all kinds of things. Because in some cases, it causes people to look up, to look up and ask questions, to ponder things, questions beyond themselves, questions about their existence, questions about the existence of God. And maybe those questions start with something like, if there is a God, then why does he allow suffering? Because suffering is something that points you and me, us, we, to a greater need. Maybe he allows suffering to get our attention so that we can experience his goodness and his blessing and forgiveness and salvation and eventually heaven. And maybe he allows suffering in our lives, your life, my life, to teach us to depend on him in ways that we cannot imagine and to reconsider everything about our ministry and our lives. He's pointing us to a larger, bigger picture to take our eyes off of the trees so that we can see and consider the forest and its beauty and the possibility of a larger picture. Suffering is not wasted. It's purposeful, useful. We see that in Job. Suffering is good even, which brings us to the New Testament in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read portions of it to you, but what's going on here? In this vignette of the unfolding drama of redemption, in this, in this little act, in this scene, Jesus and his disciples are on the it's the Sabbath day, and they come by this man who's been blind his whole life. And we read this. As he passed by, he, Jesus, saw a man born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? These must be friends of Job in some way, huh? Jesus answered, it was not this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Think about that. Now Jesus goes on to heal the man and change not only his physical state, In his state of being now, he's no longer blind. But he changed the trajectory of his whole life, including his eternity. And through him, the lives of countless others. Now, in this case, the disciples saw a tree, a man born blind. A symptom of something, or so they thought. And, you know, the disciples reveal even the karma-like nature of their world. But Jesus explains it all, and in the process, I think, gives us an answer for Job. Jesus points to the forest. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This man found healing after a lifetime of blindness. The blind man found Jesus in an eternity of peace and eternal life, and he still had many good years left. And many people saw this unmistakable, undeniable, irrefutable miracle performed by Jesus, and they looked up. Others, like the Pharisees, choosing to ignore their spiritual angina, which this thing, this miracle indicated there's something going on beyond you, beyond this realm that you need to think about. They ignored it. They ignored the miracle, 
to their detriment. But his life and the lives of those who watch this healing and those who read about it in the pages of scripture, almost from Jesus' lips to our ears or our eyes, understand that this man suffered for a reason. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. Providence. Providence often involves suffering. But all things do work together for good. The book of Job and this vignette from John end happily, but not without initial incredible hardship. In both cases, we already discussed this with Job, there is a whole world going on around them. They're looking at the tip of the iceberg. There's a larger picture, an entire redemptive forest, this unfolding drama of redemption. And after a lifetime of blindness, the blind blind man's sight is restored. And after a season of incredible suffering, Job's fortunes are restored. And neither of their sufferings had been wasted. God never wastes anyone's suffering, not yours, not mine, not ours. God accomplished something eternal with an incredible ripple effect down through history, his story, which brings us to another example of suffering. The suffering of the Apostle Paul and the so-called thorn in his flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Paul writes this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, because Paul is an apostle, he's seen visions and revelations and a resurrected Christ and all kind of things that nobody's seen. Because of all these things to keep me from exalting myself, to keep me dependent on God. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with God. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power, my power is perfected in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I, Paul, am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Providence and a thorn. Paul's thorn, what was it? People guess. They have theories. They You look at the book of Galatians, it talks about this horrendous, unsightly eye condition he had. Maybe that was it. Whatever it was, it made Paul's life difficult. It it added to a life of trial. It added another layer of suffering and discomfort. So this great apostle asked repeatedly, pleading three times for God to make it gone. And the God of, of Paul's salvation... The good shepherd, the great physician, said no. The great physician said no to healing. Why? But he, God, said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's reaction is stunning. Stunning. Therefore, I will boast more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. Providence and suffering, God's active, loving, wise care in the lives of Paul, the man born blind, Job, Johnny Erickson Tata. Now, God shared with Paul God's reasoning. Paul was able to see the forest despite the tree of his own suffering. Suffering can be good. Talk to Johnny Erickson Tata and what she's learned over a lifetime. She had no voice from heaven. 55 years in a wheelchair, 55 years as a quadriplegic, have brought her to a place of understanding. Because of Johnny Erickson Tata's accident, many similarly injured people have found hope. Her life has touched millions through her suffering. Because of her suffering, many have found hope. Many have found eternal life. Her Wheels for the World ministry sends wheelchairs to the so-called third world where people can't afford wheelchairs. And with that wheelchair goes the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some say that her life is a tragedy. Others say that her life is a blessing. A blessing in disguise, perhaps, at her accident, the time of her accident. One thing is certain, though. God has neither wasted her life nor her suffering. That's providence. God's active, loving involvement in the affairs of this young woman of 17 as she dives into the water and breaks her neck. It's mysterious. He's involved in our lives at so many levels that we don't even see. You know, when you look at her suffering and her providence, you have to think of her husband, Ken Tata. He's been taking care of her. They've been married for 40 years. But she's been a quadriplegic for 56 years. That means he married a quadriplegic. He chose his path, this quiet man of faith. Or did he? Providence. And Job's suffering, his faith is tested. It bends, but it does not break. And he's an example to us all. Why did he suffer? Well, we have his example. We often talk about the patience of Job or the endurance of Job. Do we really think about what that means for us? Do we understand it all? Satan said he could separate Job from the love of God or the love for God. Satan was wrong. It appears Job never understood the whole picture with the exception where God steps in and corrects him. Why did Job suffer? Why did Christ suffer? Ultimately, for the benefit of you and I. Job and Christ's suffering were for different purposes. One for our salvation, that's Christ. Job was for our sanctification. Job suffered as our example, a lesson in the unknown aspects of providence, that we should trust God even when life hurts, even, even if we do so imperfectly. Nonetheless, we have this record of both and of Paul's suffering too. And that's why perhaps Paul writes elsewhere, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, it's your instruction, through perseverance, through patience, and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. That's providence. The writing down and preservation and transmission of the scriptures. God does cause all things to work together for good. He gives us insight into suffering that there is a world that we can't see. There are reasons we may never know, 
but it's not for nothing. Even when Satan or others intend us harm, God intends it to make it work out for our good. God allows suffering to point us to a greater need. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. If you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Thank you.